0: the Democracy Nerd. We're continuing with our exploration in how technology might impact and will impact the upcoming elections, how it has impacted in the past. It might It be possible to install an app on your phone to make democracy and elections and voting fun or more doable. Is there an app for that? Yeah, we'll be talking about concerns of generative AI and other conversations with deep fake videos of candidates saying wacky stuff, the spread of misinformation, the manipulation of voters, multiple downsides, multiple risks that we should explore. Any upsides? We also think about players within the technology space merely trying to extract value from democracy to add capital. Are there folks out there who are trying to use their resources and use their expertise and technological tools to put value back in to democracy? We're going to talk to one of those people who might be that right now, Sarah Gifford, Chief Operating Officer, co-founder of ActiveVote. Let's start by introducing her and understanding what the heck Vote is. Sarah Gifford, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Do
0: you want to start with your story first or the Active Vote uh-huh. story first?
1: How about the ActiVote story uh, tell us a story to kick things off? So we started ActiVote in 2019. Um, so in that sense, we're still a bit of a baby uh, and growing up. But we knew we wanted to do something good. We knew we wanted to try to help uh, democracy, help citizens, help people feel more engaged and more empowered. Uh, because at this time, you know, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, there's a lot of people who feel disgust uh, with politics, uh, certainly not engaged, certainly not positive about it. When we looked at the space and we did some research, the question, you know, why aren't people voting? Why do people not feel you know, engaged in all of this? Uh, and a lot of it came down to education. People don't know when elections are, people don't know what candidates stand for. They certainly hear the you know one-liner on TV or the angry tweet on Twitter, um, but are they actually gonna act on the issues that I care about? Are they gonna implement policies that I think are gonna help? Uh, and all of those types of questions. And you know, there's a lot of research that shows if you're informed, you're confident, you're more likely to do something. At the end of the day, voting is voluntary. Voting is something that we can all choose to do or choose not to do. I, for one, hope we all choose to do it. Um, But we looked at this space and we said, hey, what we need is voter education. And we need to make education fun. We need to make education simple. We need to make education habit forming. Um, All of those things kind of put together. Why did we make an app? It's what we're good at. The three of us that are doing this are all tech people. That's where our education is, that's where you know our knowledge is, and you use the skills you have, and that's the skill we had. Um, now we tried to take a lot of research out there, and I think much to your intro that you just had, you know, tech is already influencing elections. Um, you know, if you look at the political ads on Facebook or Twitter or Google, um, that's already influencing voters. Um, so we know tech is out there doing it. Um, we wanted kind of tech for good, and that's kind of where active came in. So what active is is a platform it's only for voters um we're not here for candidates we're not here for campaigns um we're here for voters to feel informed and feel confident and to make things easy uh, for them to kind of to achieve that Uh, and hopefully a little bit of fun along the way
0: so i've downloaded the activote app on my phone and one of the first things it asks you to do is take the quiz explain the quiz and why you start with, and that's not all the only thing you'd pick on the front page, I think there's a couple options, but why do you wanna start with a quiz?
1: So the reason we start with a quiz is to make this app about the voter. Um, at the end of the day, what what are public servants doing when they sit in office? Public servants are passing policies that impact our life. They're doing it at the local level, they're doing it at the state level, they're doing it at the federal level. Um, and who we vote for, um, we should be voting for people that we feel like best represent us and represent the policies that we believe in. Uh, so what the quiz does is the quiz does two things. One, um, and we have about 500 different quiz questions. Don't worry for those listening, you do not have to answer 500 questions. We start with, I think, four or six just to start, so very small sampling. But they is learn just a little bit about what these policies are um, and how they impact your life. In those policies, we feel very strongly about lowering the temperature in our political discourse. So we do not ask yes, no questions. We don't ask for against questions because those are inherently polarizing. The moment I can be in only one of two buckets makes somebody else the other, um, and that is not our goal. So all of our policy questions have five answers across the political spectrum because there is nuance to politics. Um, They aren't all yes, no questions. They aren't all just the extremes. There's quite a bit of nuance. Um, but what that quiz then does is it plots you in this matrix. So you get to see a 2D grid. Um, and on that grid, you can see national figures, people running for president. Um, but we spent a lot of time also getting local politicians and local candidates running to represent you in that grid. And the end, answer the simple question, who believes what I believe? Um, if you know who shares your values, um, you're more likely to vote. There's a lot of research that shows that people show up to vote for or against something, um, but they show up when they feel a connection that vote that they're making. And so that quiz um, is a link to learning about policy. It is a link to that matrix to shows who believes what I believe. Um, And it's the first step on your civic journey.
0: All right. I actually want to go through it. And the second question that came up was about uh, is about abortion that came up for me. Are they randomly generated or are there certain questions that are weighted and more people get or some questions that all people get?
1: there's some questions all people get and then there's some questions that are weighted
0: along the way got it i'm wondering if if abortion or women's right to choose is a um is one of those that lots or everybody gets and it's a window into your samples who's downloading this thing and entering the question and i found it pretty interesting before i did it i would have assumed and and, and i'm not just exp- exp- Blame my bias, and it isn't. A, it's a bias that I want to explore, and I don't just explore my bias. I mean, use my bias to shoot at what you're doing. All right. So my, but acknowledge my bias. My bias is is the following. Uh, my my challenging hypothesis. My fear is the following: that the people who will download a democracy app care about democracy. That we need to make our democracy work. Get more people to care about democracy. Not only, additionally, empower those who already do. And in fact, and that's not much of a critique, well, fine, we'll still help the people who care about democracy and we'll, it's a different thing. But maybe what I really want to do is with the people who already care about democracy, I want to push them into action, not only in information, I want to get them to do stuff to encourage the other people to care. And by the way, for me, I actually want to get them to care, not only neutrally, but actually care about humanity, care about the future, care about how do we do things better together, which is a little ecumenical, but nonetheless have some biases. All right. So that's my bias and so i uh, i'm a project vote smart and project vote smart's project was to get candidates to fill out a questionnaire so you know exactly where they were and the Challenge in my view that Project Vote Smart had to do. Well, I know this was true: is that candidates get advised not to fill it out because not enough people read it; it wouldn't actually generate positive votes, but it would give easy fodder and proof for any negative hit piece on something that you would say, "Ah, this person disagrees on this; you should vote against them," and you can do microtargeting based on linear, you know granular answers that uh, the candidates had done. So, I, I I might want to talk about that, but that's not this point. What I was interested in with this question. Is that based on my biases, people who value democracy, et cetera, and my own view of the current Republican Party, I would have assumed that your sample in who uses Activote skewed lefty, not left, left, but you know, skewed urban, skewed tech savvy, skewed not Fox News viewer, not red MAGA hat wear, right? That's what I what I have thought. What I find interesting, I do want to ask you who uh, there will be a question here somewhere i do want to ask you who the people are that use this but what's interesting to me is that i get these five choices between they should be illegal in all cases abortions they should be illegal except in extreme circumstances the middle one they should be legal uh, but only until the pregnancy reaches a certain duration they should be legal in most circumstances but some regulations surrounding logistics and time frame of the process should be allowed but they should be legal in all cases. Now, people could quibble with exactly the characterizations. I'm sure that's a lot of choice making you have to do. But what's interesting to me is the first two choices and the last two choices, okay, the the and I hesitate to call extreme, but you know, the the just just for limiting within this question. So the two, the two non-middle choices add up to precisely the same percentage that that the the uh, illegal in all cases thirteen illegal except in extreme circumstances, that's twenty eight. that adds up to forty one if my arithmetic is correct. The two on the other side, they should be legal in all cases twenty three legal in most circumstances, eighteen. I believe that also adds up to forty one. So based on this, and maybe that's why you include that maybe you included all of them, what does this tell you? And I'm asking this is not an abortion question. This is an app question. Tell us about your audience. How many of these people are there? How many people are downloading it? And what do you know about them?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and this is a great example. So one of the things that that question tells you is America is divided on this issue, right? So the first thing that question tells you is that we we don't have a consensus on what exactly the answer is. And that's why it gets a lot of press and a lot of attention. Um, so that's, that's one thing If you look at to answer your question. And, who- and
0: actually I do want to respond to that. that. That is a takeaway, right? There, because all five options get all five options, get meaningful answers, right? It's not like oh, almost everybody's clumped in one area, all five options. The smallest one to be clear though, is illegal in all cases. And the people who are leading the, tri- the the movement for the current Supreme Court are in that 13%. So I at least need to say this to my pro-choice friends out there, but you keep going.
1: Yeah, no, and, and that's a fair point. And, you know, that that's, I think you're, you're right. That 13% is currently maybe driving more policy um, than the other, you know, 80 plus percent right that we look at um but if you look at who's using it i think to your question um we've hundreds of thousands of people that have used it so far and it's growing every year obviously even years we grow more than than in odd years but but we grow every year um if you look at who is using it w- w- you know we know a little bit about those folks they are from all over the political spectrum um so we do have quite a few um we have a lot of conservatives we have a lot of liberals we have a lot of everybody right and you can see that you know from that abortion answer um you know to, to be clear um now if you look there are other questions um so, sorry let me say one more thing about who's using it i will say we skew a little bit young in the sense that if you look at the best voters the best voters tend to be 70 plus uh yeah. um, most most active vote users are less than 70. um yeah. so we uh, so when I say we skew younger, I'm not talking 18 to 22 year olds, Yeah. but I, we have a very low 70 plus demographic um, currently using our... And, and
0: another reason, by the way, that that it is, that the results on the, uh, and and by the way, do you compare these and forgive my interruption, but do you compare the, because it's almost like you're providing an instant polling service for, uh, for, you know, somebody who's thinking about where the world, what, what the United States, if your sample is representative, do you compare the answers to yours? with sim- precisely similarly worded or at least somewhat similarly worded questions from you know Pew or Reuters or whomever else?
1: Yeah, so we, we publish polls every once in a while about different topics. We published uh, a poll at some point about the minimum wage, right? As an example, that's another one of the questions that folks get pretty early on uh, in that journey. And basically what that poll said was, hey, the country's not behind 15, they're not behind seven, they're probably behind 10, $11, right? Something in the middle. And so they're for a change to the minimum wage, but they're not for 15, right? From a from a big perspective. And so we do sometimes publish polls and we'll check those against um, what other pollsters are saying, right? And and we do end up with a pretty representative sample. Um, we weigh those samples to make sure, right? So um, since we have less older, we we will weigh accordingly um but we do sometimes publish polls about those things and you know there are questions where there's actually amazing alignment so we have a question somewhere in the app about veteran homelessness and should the government be help help you know solve the veteran homeless crisis and the answer is an overwhelming yes from everybody that is a very bipartisan position democrats republicans independents libertarians everybody thinks we should help our veterans um and so even on those questions where there's very very little differentiation you know you learn something there too
0: so the So you create this. Well, I want to still dig in. So you're, you're uh, it sounds relatively politically representative, uh, skew a little bit younger, say more about geography or what you understand about the hundreds of thousands of people who've used this or how many people Yeah, say more about your user base.
1: Yes. If you look geographically, uh, we're, we're pretty well split with the country. So if you look at the number of users per state, and then you look at the size of the state, we have more california users than anybody else because california is the biggest state right and then texas you know new york florida etc we have very few users in you know wyoming and north dakota again for population but we have a pretty representative sample when you when you gauge according to population right of those states so we we have users all over one of the ways um that we have those users all over we focus very very heavily on local elections so if you look uh it's it's currently fall of 2023 Uh, we have something like 60,000 candidates in our app right now who are running in November. Um, Because for some of you listening, you know there's an election in November. Some of you listening maybe don't have an election in November, but a lot of people have an election coming this November, and we want to make sure we cover those, and that gives us a lot of access into those local communities that sometimes have those off-cycle elections.
0: Once I got through the survey, uh, it puts you on a political matrix, and you get to compare yourself with national politicians. But then right after that, comes up a screen that's basically saying all politics is local right that's not that's not the line you use uh but and then it gets to and it keeps on it it, it keeps on going until you have to register and then you got to find your and then you got to put yourself in there the advantage of getting what happens after the survey sort of what's the hope and i and i do have a few thoughts about and questions about what you plan on doing with this data, because it seems like you're building maybe a really interesting data set. Yeah. But what happens after that? You do the survey, you enter voter registration information, and then what is the what does the participant get out of being a part of active or using Activo?
1: Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. Once you finish the survey, we do say something along the lines of "all politics is local" uh, because if it. The national figures that sit in that grid, everybody knows their faces, everybody knows their names, um, but they aren't necessarily making decisions that impact each of us each and every day. And so when you put in your address, um, we can look up your local elections. So we can figure out that you vote for, you know, school board region three coming up in November, um, or, you know, town ward, you know six coming up um and so we show you those local elections so when are they who is on the ballot all of that so the first thing you get by putting in your address is you'll get those local elections uh and it can be incredibly personalized to exactly where you live um the second thing you get by being part of Activote is we will bring uh two or three minute uh little action each day right so i think to your question about how do you get people to do more active vote our goal is to build this habit and build this habit, of tiny civic engagement. And so every day you get a two or three minute action and it could be a policy question, um, like the abortion question we just talked about. It could be preparing for an election. Hey, town council is up. Here's the seven people, what do you think? Uh, It could be an approval rating for the the president or an approval rating for your county recorder. Um, It could be about legislation, but you get a small kind of action. And the idea of those actions is that you come back um, once a day do your two or three minute action you can do that you know while you're waiting to pick up your kids from school waiting in line at the grocery store um but the good news is we're gonna engage you every day because democracy is here every day what happens a lot right now um and if you're anything like me I do have an election this November and so my phone I'm getting text messages I'm getting phone calls my mailbox is filled with flyers from all of the candidates that want my vote uh this November and I will not hear a peep from them until the next time they run four years yep. from now these are all local candidates in my case, because I have a local election coming up. I will hear nothing from them. Um, when we look at democracy right now, how does that make voters feel good? How does it feel good to be used, right, to to get the phone calls, to get the text messages? Yeah. They ask for money on top of your vote, um, but they're certainly asking for your vote. You, you know, you go do something and then you're ignored. And we want it to be exactly the opposite. We want it to be here every single day. So, yes, we want you to vote. Um, and on that election day, we want you to go cast that vote. Um, But then the the day after, we still want you engaged. We still want you to know what's happening in your city, what's happening in your county, what's happening in your state. Um, And I think to your question earlier, one of the things we try to do is as people get more engaged with those daily actions, we try to make them slightly bigger, right? And so how do you take someone that might be comfortable doing a daily action on their phone and how do you grow them into a more engaged citizen? Well, you don't start by saying, hey, you should run for office. You start by saying, "Hey, here's a form online, and you can actually send a note to your member of Congress or a note to your state rep." It's something they can still do in private. They can still, you know, feel comfortable. They can spend time, you know, doing it and you know feel good about it. Um, you give them the baby steps, right? That grow into those things. A lot of times, you know, once people say, "Hey, you're a good voter," you know, the next step is, you know, go lobby at the state house, go plan a march, you know, in the local park, and go run for office. And those are really big steps. And we're focused on how do you take these smaller steps to get people more engaged. So that's what you're going to get when you sign up for act.
0: So after I've entered my personal information, it then told me, as you said, it told me all the elections that are going to be happening in my area. Okay, which meant it was able to match it to voter registration records. How did you arrange that? What were the what were the technical challenges or the regulatory challenges in making that happen?
1: Yeah. So as some people may or may not know, um, voter registration data is public record. Um, so states uh, make public their voter file. Um, And in that voter file, it does not say who you voted for. So so nowhere does it document, you know, who you cast your ballot for, but it says, you know, who you are and if you vote or not. So it will say that you're a primary voter. You're a, you know, only vote in, you know, November of presidential years and whatnot. And so that's all kind of in those public voter rolls. And so we get those voter rolls and that allows us to do a couple of things. So one, it allows us to check, hey, are you registered? But it also allows us to check, hey, have you been purged from the voter rolls so we can give you a notification if you are? Because um, if you've been purged and you don't know it, you might need to contact your your state and, and get that fixed. Um, so that's one thing it allows us to do. It also allows us to check, you know, your voting behavior. Are, are, you, a, are you a perfect super voter or are you an intermittent voter? Um, and what that allows us to do is kind of make, you know, our goal is to take folks, if you vote every four years for president, we want you to start voting every two years. So November for the midterms and November for president. And if you're one of those voters, we want you to start voting in primaries and even years. And if you're one of those voters, we want you to start voting in local. So again, it's all about the one baby step kind of towards being a better voter. Um, Because that's one of the things that voter files do. That's about challenges. Um, There's a lot of Americans, that's a lot of data that we have to through um, when we look for this. And it's also very, very simple. You sensitive. just do
0: like a FOIA request or You just plug something in and, and use a, use sort of a download stick and then take it out. Like, you know, like a spy movie, like, like, what do you, like, like, like actually how do you connect to all the data? So
1: each state is different. Yeah. Um, so for some states it's, it's that, you can go and download this on a website, um, which I'm sure for some folks online, that's making them pretty freaked out at the moment um, for other states. You have to apply for access uh, to the file. So it's, you know, it's different in every single state, yeah. um, but it, but they make that data available. Um, so so that's one. But one of the challenges we have with that is, like, we actually take the fact that we have that data very seriously, and we take the security around that data very seriously. This is people's personal information, not just the voter file data that we get, but also the data you put into our app. Um, that data is yours. Uh, that personal data is yours. That is not ours. Um, you know, we don't want, so we take security very seriously, make sure nobody can hack into us and steal yeah. it. Um, but we also take your privacy very very seriously and we don't share that data with anyone. So what we do sometimes, and um, Jefferson, what you just said, you could see that in the abortion poll, 13% of people think that, well, that's aggregated data. That's not sharing anyone's personal data, right? That's sure. over hundreds of thousands of people. We do sometimes publish a poll that says, you know, a plurality of Americans would like a minimum wage of $11. But again, that's aggregated data and it's not personalized. Um, so we take that very, very seriously. So I think one of the things to answer your question is, um, one of the challenges is, we we will always ring true to our privacy and kind of voter focus and security focus around any of the data that we have.
0: So the uh, so since you have voter registration data, you know the political party registration of the people who've entered your system. How does that break down? And forgive me if that's repeat, but but how does that break down relative to the country at large?
1: So we have, if I if I do kind of high-level numbers, we have about 40% Democrats, 30% Republicans, and 30% independents. Um, so we do skew a touch liberal. I think you, you pointed that out a little bit earlier. Um, but we have a pretty good- Not niche. much. Yep. And I will say one thing is um, party data is also not perfect. Um, take the state of West Virginia as an example. According to the voter rolls, West Virginia is predominantly Democrat. Um, if anybody follows the news, they know Rep- West Virginia is a pretty red state, um, right. and political parties are lagging indicators. In- Sorry,
0: political party membership is a lagging indicator.
1: I- I- exactly. So, so when I give you those stats, it's what we know. Um, I don't know anything different, but it's not always perfect.
0: Yeah. So another um, white people, I would enter with a hypothesis that this skews white. Am I wrong? Or maybe I- you don't know.
1: Uh, our data on demographics isn't as strong, and we don't ask that question. Um, the data that we do have, though, um, you know, America is about 13% African American. We've got about 10% um, African American users. Um, so I, I think I we are we are short on the Latino part, and in part because our app is not yet in Spanish. Although that is something we plan to do one of these days. Um, so in terms of kind of different ethnic groups, I think um, language groups are the area where we haven't cracked yet because because
0: we're still single language. Have you been able to now to track, and you say moving, and I think there's a helpful lesson for democracy nerds out there of trying to move people up one step, right? One move people, And even in persuasion, right? If you try to fundamentally remove someone from a cult and move them to something else, that's pretty hard to do. Very often it could just ingrain them further. But if you and move the one step, right? A little bit of a nudge that tends to, you know, Kahneman Tversky would say that works a little bit better. So the that's a helpful takeaway. Have you seen, have you been able to track nudges you've done? Have you seen the uh, increase in voting behavior among your community? And are you able then to, uh, have you done any sort of controls to see how much that is based on stuff you are doing within it, or if potentially downloading the app was just the beginning of a journey that person might take either way? What have you seen in terms of sort of behavior change?
1: Hey, that's a great question. And we do actually measure that. And so we know um, we know what your voting behavior was before you got active vote. We know when you got active vote. And then we can see your voting behavior afterwards. Um, and what we've seen is especially take that cohort of, we call them like the 50-50 voters. They vote between one and 50% of the time. They have voted before, which means we know they know how to do it, um, but they're incredibly infrequent. Um, in that cohort of infrequent voters, because that's who we target, that's who we have built this for, um, is those people that probably need the most help. Um, we increased their chances of voting by 33 uh, percent, 33 percent between those elections. And we can see it in the data. So one of the things the app does is send you email reminders. Um, So you might not have come back to the app for six months. um, But if you live in Virginia today, you got an email saying, hey, early voting is about to start um, for the for the election. If you live in Virginia, here's how you find the, the sites to vote early. Here's how you look up your ballot. And hey, you should probably go vote. And so we will see people who haven't touched our app since the Virginia June election. And then they come back then they plan their vote and then they go vote. And so we can see that in the data. Now you asked a really good question kind of causation versus correlation. Um, is the app solely responsible for that change in behavior or was it the start of a journey or did somebody else tell them and then somebody else started the journey you know, by telling them to get the app in the first place? I wish I could take all credit for it. I probably can't. There are there may be outside factors we just don't know. And it's just not something we can measure. So. I will be honest, that I don't know that I can take full credit. Although we like, we still, we're still proud of it, even if we can't be full credit.
0: Yeah. Uh, even what you're doing is rooting on the people who are doing personal journeys. Uh, that's that's democracy too. So,
1: Absolutely.
0: so the, uh, as you think about how, well, let me get, just jump to the hard parts. So you said uh, managing the data. Uh, another hard part is got to be dough. The good news is your three co-founders were all successful, sort of tech folks who have all, who are all doing a deeply irrational thing by doing this. And by deeply irrational, I mean absolutely, you should be doing it. More people should be doing that kind of stuff. It's why we have these conversations. Frankly, feel free to dig into that one or take another, you know, bite a different way. What are the hard parts? What's the biggest thing that you have to navigate?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you're alluding to is that three of us are paying for this entirely ourselves. Um, so we are we are spending our retirement, donating our time, donating all of our money to make this happen. Um, I shouldn't say all of our money. We we're, we we pay our rent and do all those things too. Um, but yeah, we're we're donating this. This is our kind of civic service um, that that we want to be doing, kind of for this space. What are the hard parts? Um, kind of there's, there's a number of big items. Um, so one is, you know, if you're gonna play in this game of politics and elections and democracy you're gonna get a lot of people that say nasty things. Um, you know, on any given day, I'll open up the active inbox and there's emails calling me, you know, a fascist and a communist. Um, and there's, yeah, there's emails saying nasty things that, you know, we're trying to, you know, mess with elections where, you know, any number of bad things. So, so one of the hard things is just, sometimes people say mean things. Um mean, you have to have pretty thick skin and you have to just remember, you know what, I'm doing this for all the right reasons, they're wrong, and I'm just gonna keep doing it. So that that's, that's one thing. Um, I think the other thing that's kind of a, a two-sided point, kind of what's hard, but what's also really rewarding is, as I said before, we really focus on reaching voters, those infrequent voters. Um, campaigns are not reaching out to them, right? They don't get asked. And everybody likes to be asked to the dance. Everyone likes to be asked for their vote. That that actually does feel good, right? Someone, someone wants something from me. And, you know, you feel a little bit of power in that moment. And we're trying to make sure that kind of all those infrequent voters that tar- that campaigns aren't targeting are getting targeted by us. Now, they're hard to reach. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of one part of it. Um, you know, we frequently hear things like, man, my vote doesn't count. And like the system isn't here for me. And you, you know, you hear some sentiments that are, that are pervasive around here. Um, and I don't judge those sentiments at all, but they're hard to hear. Now, the, the positive side of that coin is when you can talk to these people and you can help them, you know, Engage better in the process, and they they feel a, a new sense of empowerment. Well, that's the flip side of that coin that makes the effort all worth.
0: Other hard parts, keeping, uh, and and it doesn't have to be, well, okay. Instead of other hard parts, what's the dream for this medium term? We could say long term, right? We could say after, you know, how do you ensure you don't get tired, right? How do you when you get to? And by the way, there is a The professional political consulting and even nonprofit class has a set of biases, and those biases are usually adjacent to their very reasonable financial self-interest. Usually, particularly in the nonprofit class, they're not making a ton of money. They want to make sure donors are actually giving money, that people are actually paid a wage that they can pay rent or heck even maybe a mortgage uh, by doing that work right? I am not even close, although I've been a non-profiteer for much of my career, I am not even close to a fundamentalist on the, on this score. In fact, when I do the arithmetic of how democracy is going to work, I think it has to include a healthy dose of either systemized or non-systemized, uh, non-systematic benevolent irrationality. I don't see rational utility maximization solving for every collective problem. That's just not how I think the world works. That's maybe why this court sits. So, So I will say that. And I still think, no, Maybe even because of that, I find sustainability questions. I don't mean environmental, although those are cool too. Sustainability questions particularly fascinating. How do you build a purpose-driven entity that is doing wonderful things that doesn't end up getting sold to a PE firm, a private equity firm to be, to be uh, harvested from its data. It's cool if that's what the PE firm is doing and that's what the company is born to do, but we don't only want to sell democracy to the highest bidder. That's not fully the point. So, and I know that's why you're doing this. So how do you, how are you thinking about building this to be able to fulfill its promise to get scale uh, and uh, live past the, much appreciated benevolent irrationality of the founders.
1: Hey, so that's, that's a lot in there and a lot of the questions, but um, you know, a couple of things. So first, if you, if you'll allow me, like when I dream about what this could be someday, and I always think like, what's the big goal far, far in the future, right? That, that we're all working towards. Um, you know, when I think about that, I'd say, okay, imagine that, you know, 200 million registered Americans, you know, have active vote, they're getting the voting reminders, they're showing up to the election, you know, to all of their elections, voter participation, instead of being, you know, 66% in 2020, and we all celebrated is 95% in every election, including, you know, primary local elections, right? Imagine that world and talk about what a representative democracy looks like when 95% of people vote, right? I would call that a heck of a lot more representative if you ask me. Um, And then imagine that, you know, every city council, every town council says, OK, we need to make a decision about, you know, a bike lane or we need to make a decision about, you know, the, the local park. Um, and they put up a quick question to the community in inactive and say, hey, um, we need to do this to fix the park or to make a new playground. You know, are you for or are you against or do you want this, this or this? And they give you the options. And then in City Hall is the answer from the public. Imagine that, imagine the answer from the public, right? Of a poll that was put up for three days before every vote happening in the city um, with that information. Who wouldn't wanna go in and once a day say, okay, yep, I want this for the park. I don't want that for the school. I do want this for the state. I do want that for the federal. I know that their voice is heard. I um, think about how empowering that is, right? Think about, think about the different perspective we would have if everybody could have that impact and their voice was just everywhere all the time. Um, because I do think, elected officials I know you know when, when when I say elected officials everyone immediately thinks of Trump and Biden right they immediately think of Matt Gates and AOC um what you should be thinking about is the person that's probably either getting you know working for free or for a few thousand dollars a year right and they're trying to figure out um you know, what meals to serve at school, right? Or how to fix the potholes on your road, right? Those people would love to know what their constituents think and love to have access to a tool um you know that that can make that happen. And so when I, when I dream big, that's what I dream. Um and I'm sure there's folks laughing at me right now, but that's okay. I'm still going to I'm still going to keep dreaming. Um now I think to your second question, how do we make sure that happens? Um we are not we are not planning to give this, you know, to TE firm to steal the data and to exploit people's opinions even more. Um, you know, I think when we think about you know how could this sustain, you know if if, if I ever got tired because um, it is possible that that happens someday, um, although I would argue that's you know decades away um, w- we can have this sentiment of the people. Um, imagine that any person who wants to run for office could get polling on their race right, about how we're doing. And imagine that instead of it costing, um, you know, $40,000 for a single point in time poll, and those are real numbers, by the way, right, if you're running for Congress, and you want to run a poll in your district, it might be $40,000. Now imagine you're running for school board, and we say, hey, for a dollar a week, you can have live polling from ActiVote, right? Um, Because you're running for school board, and your entire budget is only $1,000, right? You're paying this out of pocket, and you're just a great public servant. Um, well, there's 500,000 people that run for office um, every year, right? Dollar a week that can sustain vote for a little while. Um, imagine you're a community that wants to put that up and wants to ask their residents about things. Pay me a dollar a week, right? Well, there's another few hundred thousand municipalities around, you know, the country, right? They can do that. And so, for very, very, very small amounts, because it would never be about making money. It never—it's that's not what it's about. It would be about, you know, creating a public service and creating something better. Um, for very, very, very small sums over the vast amount that is American democracy. You could keep this going forever um, and provide an amazing service along the way. I
0: I do want to get back to that. It does seem to me there are a couple of key foundational formation choices you made. One, which you sort of answered, uh, at least in part, is why you decided to be nonpartisan, right? Why you decided instead of working on an issue or a particular power set or a clump of issues that you are passionate about or the co-founders are passionate about, you say, no, let's just get let's just get an informed electorate and get people into the mix and see what happens. Uh, I am interested in that dis- in that decision. Well, let me not this time do a compound question. Say, uh, Answer that one.
1: So, so here's the thing. I want everyone to vote. I get to vote my values, and I've got a whole set of values, uh, and I will vote that way. Um, but I want everybody voting their values. And one of the reasons that I find that kind of a most important issue, I don't have all the answers. So I have opinions. I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things, and I have a lot of ideas about the right or wrong way or the best solution for America's problems. But who says I'm right? Um, it could be somebody else who's right. And so I want them voting as much as I'm voting, because um, I do believe in like the collective electorate and the collective intelligence about what things are. And that's not just me. Um, and so that's why we wanted to be nonpartisan, because I do think everybody, you know, should vote. You know, I think um, one of the, you know, most kind of, you know, if you look at direct democracy, think about ballot measures, right? It's sometimes in states, you actually get to vote on a very, very specific issue, and the results are almost always pretty clear about what people think. Um, And I trust in that kind of general, general electorate, you know, Ohio had a ballot measure recently about changing their state constitution. And the answer was pretty clear, right? They wanted to keep the power in the hands of the people. Um, And so I'm, I'm with those Ohio voters. And that's what, that's what Vote is here for. And that means I don't want it to be in the power of half the people. I want it to be in the power of all the people.
0: If you, in therapy otherwise, gone to, dug into a little bit, why you give a damn, like why democracy itself became a core enough value for you you're dedicating a meaningful part of your life to it
1: so there, there are two answers to that question um so, so one of them you know I went to vote with my parents my parents voting my where I grew up was in our elementary school in the in the gym of the elementary school so as a kid they don't mean no gym class that day which is pretty devastating when you're five years old right um but my parents took us and I remember you know, sobbing one year. And I don't know if I remember this or your parents tell you the story often enough that you think you remember it. So we, we'll, we'll, I don't know which one it is, but like, you know, me just crying and crying and crying cause I was gonna be late to school. And my parents being like, hey, there's some, there's, sometimes there's a good reason to be late to school and voting is it, right? And this is what it is. You'll go to school when mom and dad go to work. Um, and that's when we're done voting. And so I think that's one part. I think the second part, one of my co-founders, um, he was originally Dutch, grew up in the Netherlands. Um, and his dad um, still remembered um, being liberated from the Nazis by the Americans. So had a very, very strong appreciation for America uh, in all of this. And so, um, so my co-founder, his dad, they used to wake them up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch presidential debates, he and his sisters, um, because this is important. right? Um, and so you know, he would wake up in, early in the morning. When he was a teenager, his dad took him to meet the new US ambassador for the Netherlands. And he still remembers this. Um, So he's somewhere, somewhere in in the Netherlands, you know, in some presentation and this U.S. ambassador, what he said was, I spent the first third of my life getting a wonderful public education. I spent the next third of of my life leveraging all of the institutions and infrastructure that America builds for us. And so therefore, I'm going to spend my last third of my life in public service. Um, And here's this teenage Dutch boy who still remembers that today. Um, And when he told me that story, I realized, oh, I, I spent the first, I went to public school. I got a wonderful public education. I spent the next part of my life also benefiting from everything America does, right? So my career—I didn't do it by myself. The company didn't do it by themselves. Like every time you get on a plane um, that the FAA helps you land, every time you drive on a road that the you know DOT helps build, right? You're, you're utilizing all of these things, in America. And so this is my version of public service. I don't—I don't have the the personality to run for office um, for 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 lots of reasons, and I'm probably not rich enough to be an ambassador. Uh, so. Public service is active, right? We can build something that is that. And I think, um, you know, it's good to remember sometimes everything you've got, um, you know, as you're giving something along the way.
0: Two things I want to pull out. One, uh, democracy is humility. What I heard you say is that ultimately, if we are committed to a decision-making system where everybody gets to weigh in, we are either at our root or at least upon negotiated agreement, Engaging in an exercise of the shared understanding of humility, either from our own humility or at least because we're willing to throw up our hands and say, "Well, if you're willing to be humble, so will I." Another thing I heard you say was family, and also sort to of our democracy nerds out there, I don't ask this question all the time, and maybe I should. I'm guessing if I did, there would always be a story like that. I'm guessing. I know it is for me. Right? Most of the people I know, sometimes people have maybe a later problem, a later hassle, right? Somebody goes into, and well, I know it would not be for everybody. I know we've talked to people, a formerly incarcerated, uh, for instance, who, who then got confronted by the law and realized they need to do something about it and got to it late in life. But I didn't ask the question about, well, was there something when you were seven years old that made you even think that that was something you could possibly do. But I do think it is, it is a lesson that as we, engage our own family members in stuff, that that may have ripples we don't even anticipate a generation and a half away. You said that, well, you you made another choice, made another formational choice, which was to be, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you formed as a B Corp. I think you formed as a B Corp uh, instead of as a C Corp, or as a, which is a typical corporation, B Corporation, sort of like a benefit corporation, the uh, uh, and or instead of as a 501c3 charity, or instead of as a 501c4 kind of political nonprofit. Uh, how come that organizational formation choice?
1: Yeah, so a couple things. So one thing was very important for us is that we are mission-driven. Um, and the decisions we make, we wanted to be obligated that the decisions we make are for that mission. And that mission is for voters, right? So they are the they are the thing we think about when we make every feature choice, when we make every marketing choice, when we make every choice is about voters. And so we wanted to be kind of, you know, legally connected to that mission. Um, then the question is, you know, why be a B Corp versus be um, a nonprofit? Well, we weren't accepting donations and we didn't want to accept donations. We wanted to this to be something that we gave back. Um, and one of the amazing things about nonprofits is it allows you to easily accept donations. It allows the people to deduct that from their taxes. Um, you know, it's an absolutely wonderful structure. Um, but given we didn't want donations, we didn't need that structure. Um, and so, but but we still wanted that, um, that nonpartisan, you know, and, you know, mission focused um, requirement on us.
0: The uh, thing that I come back to, have you and your co-founders considered, and I know you saw you responded to this, but I don't think you had answered it, at how you think about a next generation of leadership? Now, just just pause for a second. You have said it's mission driven. You have said our purpose is not to sell to a private equity firm. I understand. I have dear, dear you know people I dearly admire. If I if I call them dear friends, that implicates them. If I just say I admire, that only implicates me, uh, who have started purpose-driven companies, and then they get older and they've got to figure out what to do. And uh, and both of them, and, and they thought, well, could I sell it to my employees? Well, it turned out they weren't really in a position in the companies they started really to do that, right? They're, they didn't have a set of employees that could sort of figure it out, get to the financing together and, and sort of do that thing. Uh, they were decidedly commercial kind of business, they were not nonprofits. And so they sold and they didn't, I wouldn't say they sold to the highest bidder. they sold to something that they would feel decent about the about the press release. But, you know, they didn't sell to themselves. They didn't sell to the same kind of person they are. They sold, sold to larger organizations, larger organizations, the organizations can afford to buy smaller organizations. And, and so maybe by being a B Corp, you know, you can insert into the organizational mission, right? Some of that stuff other mechanisms that you're putting in place to all three you hit by a truck and there's a community ready for active vote to continue to flourish and somebody comes along and says listen this could be such a valuable polling tool we're going to start using this to poll lots of folks we can we can do representative polls just by knowing everybody's personal data we're going to harvest more data do more polls make more money we're going to come up with other ways maybe we're going to do some things we're going to do through ads we're really targeted ads in really local areas where we could be the best game in town to actually turn some elections maybe we will." sell some space, even so, do some content marketing. Not only we put out content, but we allow content to get to our folks. Maybe we take some money for that. Any number of ways we can imagine monetizing this, all of which you would oppose now, but someday both you and I will no longer live. What happens then or what systems we put in place to imagine that?
1: Hey, I mean, if you look back to when I talked about long-term vision, right? And I dream about the 200 million people, right? It is selling polls for a dollar a week. Right. It is selling to municipalities for a few bucks a week so they can put it up in there. So there is a there is a world in which as we keep growing and as the thing that we have um, can really make a bigger difference um, to monetize that. And the reason exactly to monetize it is for exactly the reason you have. We need to hire people at some point. We need to have our own successors right in place. Um, you know, if you look at the journey, you know, the three of us worked together um at our last company and we were there for 20 years. Um But we all had successors, we all promoted from within grew people through the organization and when we left we handed it to that kind of homegrown new set of leadership and that's exactly what we would want to do here. Um, Is, you know, I'm a big believer in groups um, nurturing the talent that they have um, and giving people those opportunities everybody needs a chance to do something first right? Everybody was a first time CEO, everyone was a first time manager, everyone was a first time lead, everybody had to do something first. And if you create an organization where you're the place where people get to have those firsts, then you're an organization where people are dedicated, where people are loyal, where people can grow and, you know, where the whole thing works. And so I think for us, um, that's the idea, right? We will at some point start, you know, making monetizing, but we don't want to ever monetize at the expense of the voters. If you look at some of the things you said, we'll, we'll never put ads in the app, never because it takes away from the experience that the voter has. Um, we would rather, you know, do polling for a dollar a week than we would to put an ad in the app. Um, we would never sell data in such a way that, um, well, we would never sell data period, right? I would, I would say publishing a poll is different than selling data. Um, I think those, there's a nuance there in terms of how you aggregate that information. Um, so we would never sell data, but we would kind of, kind of put out those polls such that the whole thing can be funded and such that the whole thing can live forever. Um, Cause you're exactly right. Um, someday I'll get tired. Someday my founder will get tired and we want this to live forever. And we want it to live forever. Um, not, not in the hands of somebody that wants to do something different with it in the hands of basically the people that it was built.
0: I might be interested in talking again, as you move down this journey, cause I'm really inspired what you're doing and, and interested in what you're doing. And as you continue to sort of sort that out and figure it out, it's maybe it's sort of early, but at some point it gets too late to figure it out. Right. At some point it's like, Oh, I guess it's, I guess it kind of is what it is. And the decisions are made and well, I'll move on and somebody else will do something and hopefully do something good with it. You said something a little bit ago. You said our our target, we want to engage infrequent voters. I think that's your phrase. You may have said non-voters you may have said something else, but what I wrote down was infrequent voters. Uh, how do you do that? By by that's kind of who you market your 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 app to on paid Facebook ads. And and how or how do you do that? Or do you use other methods to to primarily or at least put your emphasis on trying to engage less frequent voters?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's a couple things. So, one is and it allows us to be super creative which can be a lot of fun, is that Infrequent voters are everywhere, right? So, we know where, you know, super voters are, right? Super voters are probably running, you know, a local civic organization. They are um you know, commenting on Twitter about every new political story that's out there. Talking on
0: some, like, podcast about democracy, something like that.
1: I- exactly, right? Um, infrequent voters are, are everywhere, right? So, um, you know, we are, we are working on a partnership right now with somebody called Trek the Vote, and it is a group of people trying to just target Trekkies. Trekkies are Republicans, Trekkies are Democrats, Trekkies are young, Trekkies are old, Trekkies are all over the place, right? If you like Star Trek, you could be anybody. And but chances just to
0: be clear, Star Trek itself is a socialist utopia. I mean, it's, I, it, 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 is it is not true. ecumenical.
1: It, it is true, but, but I, think, I think there are some Trekkies. But low is-
0: key. They don't say those words.
1: No, they do not. But so I, I, there's Trek nerds out there of pretty much all political affiliations. Um, and so we get to try to reach into different communities. Right. So you can reach into, you know, a poker playing community. You can reach into um, we sometimes reach into nonprofits that are helping. Um, we did a great pilot in 2022 with a nonprofit helping people get access to, um, you know, ch- CHIP, child Health Care or Medicaid. Um, Well, those people are probably also infrequent voters, right? And so we can, you know, help them, hey, solve your problem that you need around Medicaid, but hey, did you also know you have an election, right? Kind of go up there. And so we we partner with a lot of different groups that are reaching very, very different constituencies in very, very different areas. Um, And so we do the things that are atypical for politics. So politicians run ads on Facebook, we don't run ads on Facebook. Um, Politicians send mailers, we don't send mailers, right? We try to reach people Just very, very differently um, because the people that are being reached by those tools are probably not the people that need us as much. They find us, they don't need us.
0: Do the three co founders each own essentially a third of the company or how does does ownership work?
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Got it. Uh, What do you see? As you look at the landscape, has there been anything? Actually, let's take it down from the whole landscape. Let's take it down to the active community landscape, right? you know, tens of thousands of people who participate regularly, hundreds of thousands of people who participated at various times, correct me if my numbers are wrong. The uh, 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 What about that has surprised you? And there might be things that have confirmed priors, and I'm interested in that, but anything particular that surprised you?
1: You know, one of the things that's been a really pleasant surprise, um, every once in a while, we'll test out something new, right? We'll try something new. And so so recently... Um, we put together a slightly longer piece of content. I think I mentioned earlier that we try to do like two to five minutes a day. So very short things. Um, And so we experimented recently with a survey about energy independence, but there's a lot of facets of energy independence if you take that topic. And so that that whole thing was about 12 minutes. And so we're like, let's put it out there and let's see if anybody does it, right? Are they totally disgusted because it's way too long? And hey, I showed up here for two minutes, 12 is not in my, you know, too long, didn't read. And they, you know, checked back out. Oh my gosh, overwhelming positive feedback. Um, Everybody did it and they did the entire thing. And we even got emails saying, oh, please do more of this. We like to see how issues connect together as opposed to just asking about one thing or another thing. You know, they absolutely loved it. Another huge surprise that we had, probably our biggest surprise. uh, So at one point we decided, okay, we're going to incorporate legislation. So what is happening in all 50 state houses in Congress, right? And, and personalize that to show people what's happening. What are your, What are these elected officials actually voting on and what are they doing? And we thought no one is going to care about legislation. This feature is going to be not used. We're going to end up ripping it out. Um, we thought it was important because that legislation rules our lives, right? It makes those decisions that we're going to do. Um, policy questions have always been the most popular thing. If somebody's daily action policy question, they're like 95 plus percent chance they're going to do that action. Bill's was 86%. We were flabbergasted. We're like, people can't possibly like this as much as they do. So they like it a little less than the policy questions, but they engage with it almost as regularly. Um, for us, that was encouraging, right? Wait, wait, I
0: think- help, help cure my ignorance. When you say, what's the difference between a policy question and a bill?
1: So a policy question, abortion is the policy question, right? So you just got it. a question about abortion. A bill would be, say, the Infrastructure Act, right? So here's what was in the Infrastructure Act. Here's how your representatives voted. Um, how would you got have won this bill? Um, Or an upcoming continuing resolution that may or may not be introduced at some point in the next few weeks, uh, we hope. Um, How would you vote on that bill? Um, And and people engage with it more than we thought.
0: So you do this sort of step by step thing, right? At any point have you thought about helping people take a step? Once, once, what happens if you continue to build people's habits and you get more super voters? Do you then graduate out of active vote, or is there active vote pro? Is there this is what you do to receive action alerts or show up to not only answer policy questions but to lobby upon them? Pick the thing that you want to do, and we give you a tool to do that. And you know there've been there've been various tools that have tried to do that. Maybe you could do it better. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so we do try to, to slowly kind of get people also into the real world and into their communities. So that could be, you know, signing up for um, a discussion, right? So if somebody shows a lot of interest in environmental topics, um, you want know, to say, hey, you know, there's a there's a, a Braver Angels discussion happening next week on, on here. You can sign up and you could actually participate. You could talk about these issues with other people. Um, and so, again, that's something you can do from you know, your own home, but it gets you out into the real world talking to real people. Um, One of the things we would love to do um, is to start to add kind of localized events that are happening. Um, So it could be, you know, your local neighborhood council, right? Hey, they're having a meeting on Tuesday night, just so you know, um, you know, to, 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 and then the neighborhood council, you know, frequently is the ones going to town hall, you know, to advocate, you know, maybe you want to join. And I think that's one of our dreams is to get, is to exactly like graduate people into more and more in-person, in-real-life civic engagement activities, right, outside of the app, but that we can at least notify them of. Um, we're not there
0: yet, but we want to go there. Sarah Gifford, Chief Operating Officer, co founder of Activote, an app currently available on your smartphone app store. If you want to check it out for yourself, you can take your own survey, figure out where you plot out on their political values grid matrix scatter plot. Sarah Gifford, thank you so much. Thanks for your time and thank you for being a democracy nerd. Thank you so
1: much. I'm a proud democracy nerd.
0: Be well, Sarah. Take care. Cheers. Democracy Nerds recorded in sunny Portland, Oregon, produced by Kyle Curtis. Thanks also to technical producer Sig Seliger. Logo designed by Kat Buckley at kbuckleygraphics.com. I am Jefferson Smith. Thank you so much for listening. You can rate and review, hope you will, and follow Democracy Nerd on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Past episodes of the show, Democracy Nerd, can be found online at democracynerd.us. Go, America. Thank you. Thank you, Democracy.